Welcome back. This is another episode of Meathead Hippie Podcast. I am your host, Emily Schramm, a meathead and a hippie, and I am so glad you are here. I am a personal trainer, nutritional therapy practitioner, and serial entrepreneur. And I was at an event recently. I went to a Bumble Biz event who uh, one of my good friends, Shalisa in Denver, runs these great panels and talks and just brings women together and uh, there was somebody on the panel and I should remember her name and I will try to find it. But she was talking about how wherever we are, we just kind of dilute ourselves. So when we're networking or introducing ourselves, we kind of just mumble or we aren't as like confident or we feel confident. And then at some point in our life, something made that confidence not as strong. And so I was like, damn, I think I do that. So, uh, I'm going to do a full intro today in case it's your first time listening to me. And if it's not your first time listening to me, I apologize, but I hope this inspires you to shake somebody's hand and tell them exactly who you are and what you want to do today. Uh, so I started off my first business in 2012, launching Unleash Fitness, which is a nutrition and online uh, strength training, but really just programs for anybody to tap into. So those are all found on emilystrom.com, 21 days, $21, and then a very variations of different strength programs for at home, on the go, but also in the gym. So they can get pretty equipment heavy, but they also can be done with the MPAC. So super proud of the what has become MFIT and really looking at the Facebook group and this podcast and the YouTube videos that I do that is to service this amazing MFIT tribe that I have. And I'm just so grateful for you guys. I launched my second company in 2016, Evolve Motion. So it's a backpack turned weight training bag. And then it turned into a tea company because I could not get my hands on enough herbs. And that's what today's podcast is really about. And I think you're going to love it. I also have two more companies, the Body Awareness Project and Platform Strength. And I am just so in love with helping you empower yourself. So uh, without further ado, that's kind of my spiel and my handshake and my intro. I am so excited to talk to somebody that I just could always talk to an herbalist. I, I love them and I think they're so fascinating. And I think at some point when I quote unquote retire, I will finish my herbalism school. I was lucky enough to do some schooling with herbalism, but not nearly enough. And so that's what these podcasts are about selfishly. But I just started working with a great company called Herb Farm. And if you're not familiar with Herb Farm, it's just, you got to get familiar with it. They are 40 years old. They were founded in 1979. So they have done things right for a very long time. Um, they have 270 liquid herbal extracts. They're all organic. They're sourced in an incredible way. They are mostly grown. So 65 to 70 of these herbs are grown on their farm. And I, along with my video guy, I am going to the farm this month, which is so exciting. So we'll have lots of great videos and interviews and just really incredible footage so you guys can see it for yourself. So I really wanted to get their lead herbalist on just so you guys can like get a little bit of knowledge on some of these herbs. And so I had Alexis Durham come. She's a lead herbalist. She studied at Bastyr University. She talks about botanical medicine, educates people on all different types of 
herbal tinctures and just botanical medicine in general. Uh, but what's so cool about it is this podcast, we dig into four herbs that I really wanted to dig into and it's yarrow, hawthorn, damiana, and dandelion. And I just wanted you guys to feel like you learned something today. So a little bit of herbal education with a lot more coming once we get into Herb Farms Farm and you guys see the footage for yourself. So I'm very excited about it. Don't forget if you guys are interested in any of this, all the links are below to Herb Farm. You can also take 15% off anything Herb Farm on their website using Emily 15. And I mean, they just have great stuff. So if you want to dabble and try, they are the company to do it with because they do it right. So glad you guys are back for another episode and I hope you enjoy. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Alexis, thank you so much for making time today and this week to be on Meathead Hippie. Uh, we are going to have so much fun talking about herbs and some very specific herbs, but also your story with them and just the work that you do. We finally get to meet in person. I get to come to the farm that you work at later on this, this summer, which I cannot even wait for. So there's just so much goodness and I wanted to have you on to talk about the things that I love, but also to educate myself and some of the listeners in the things that you do every single day. So thank you for being on Meathead Hippie. Thank you for inviting me. This is my pleasure. Yay. Okay. So I just want to jump into starting with your own journey into herbs. You know, herbal medicine is kind of this big blanket statement. And I know that there's a lot of education that Herb Farm specifically does. And there's different courses and things that you can learn, but it is a little bit hard to kind of get into. You know, it, there's, it's not as accessible as I think it should be. And I was just curious, like your own personal deep dive into herbalism. Was it something you grew up with? Was it something you got exposed to and then you were just hooked? Tell me a little bit about you getting into it. You know, it was really accidental, to be honest with you. I had no idea that this would ever turn into a career for me or that this really even existed in a, as a career. I grew up in a really small town where we did not have access to alternative forms of medicine, basically. So um, when I found out that you could use herbs medicinally and that, you know, they have these health-promoting benefits, it was kind of shocking to me. I think we had certainly cooked with them in my home and, you know, used mint and tea and things like that. But that really expanded my view of, you know, what plants are able to do. And so I had initially um, obtained a business degree which has actually served me really well. Um, but at the time after I graduated, I worked for a few years and found that that wasn't very satisfying. And so I started looking into ways that I felt like I could do more to help people. And, you know, I was interested in the human body and in health and, um, but also in my garden. And so I started reading about plants and more about the plants that I was growing. And that's when I found out that they had a history of use, you know, as medicine. And pretty much from that moment, I was hooked. And I did go to a university called Bastyr that's in Kenmore, Washington, which was where I got my herbal education. And mm -hmm. so um, I did not realize how many herb schools. There are quite a few, actually, and, and even more online programs now than there were whenever I first started. So I do feel like the opportunity has expanded. But I agree that looking for an herbal education can feel very daunting, you know, and hard to know where to start. Do you remember the first herb that 
you experienced like the benefits of? Do you have that moment? I think mine was kava. Um, I was in Hawaii and it was like kava. That's a cool name. I wonder what that is. And then someone said, you know, there's bars popping up instead of using it in replace of alcohol. And I'm like, what, what is this thing? And I, I want to say it was in 2012, maybe 2013. And I just, my tongue got numb and I was so Zen and I had no anxiety. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. (laughs) Do you have a moment with an herb that like your first herb that you felt the benefits of? For me, the one that sticks out the most would be uh, my experience with a plant called motherwort. It uh, has a lot of uses. It's used to help support the heart um, and, you know, the cardiovascular system and it's bitter and it supports digestion and it does all sorts of things basically. But it was a plant that I was really called to actually just sit next to in our garden at Bastier. And I spent a lot of time just sitting next to it and then found out through my research, I decided to write a paper on it, that it was a plant that um, was really healing and supportive to people who had lost their mothers which I had a few years before that. For me, it just felt drawn to sit next to this plant Uh. that I found out supported people who'd lost their mothers just a couple years after having lost mine was a pretty profound experience for me to have with a plant. Oh my gosh. And that's that's how they work, right? You know, it's like they have this ability to just tap into what you don't even know you need. And I think that's why they're so magical, but also so hard to articulate to people. And this is the work that you do on the farm and day to day. I would love to know your kind of response to someone that says it's just placebo. Oh, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I, know it's I think yeah, well, because I do think that like placebo is legitimate too. Yeah, I'm, you know, and mm-hmm. that believing something that works or that something is working and is effective um, is valid and only helps to support your healing process. I do believe so much in just the healing power of plants. I'm not sure I'm fully answering your question. I no, you are. Here. You are. You are. <laughs> um, I believe so much in it. And I've seen so much um, also the unintentional ways in which plants help to support us. You know, just like I said, just by sitting next to this plant, I felt better. So really working with herbs has really opened my mind to possibilities that are so much less linear, you know, than the way that my brain used to think. I'm a lot more willing to believe in magic, you know, honestly, not to go too far into the woo-woo end here, but um, we it, like it makes me feel like those things are real. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm perfect then because I am full of woo-woo. Good. We uh, are too. Those things are valid. <laughs> You know, and so I always want to honor people's experiences, honestly, when they tell me that they've had a a unique experience that they maybe can't explain with a plant, you know, or or any living being. Um, Mm. Those things are real to me and, and worth validating for sure. Yeah. I was talking to somebody, a friend recently about how we, you know, as kids, the reason it's so great and we feel like everything's magic is because we don't have so much of our ego and logic in our head to kind of second guess it. So we feel it still, even as adults, but instantly it's kind of like, ah, no, that couldn't be true or no, that couldn't really happen. And so I think it's letting go of that instant doubt. We just, our our society is just surrounded by it. Like it's, it's very much not in our culture to be woo woo. It's very, uh, it, it doesn't have enough data and it's not as tangible and it's not as factual and it's not as 
masculine enough, I think, in a way. And so this woo-woo herbal medicine, to me, it's like the ultimate feminine power. And I think it's just so cool what you get to do every day. So you're the lead herbalist at Herb Farm, which I like, honestly, I just can't wait to see this in action because I feel like that's a dream job. Like you just get to put things together and make magical potions and tinctures and (laughs) all these really cool things that I use all the time. Um, Do you have just so much fun putting things together and helping kind of create the story in in a tangible product. You know, we have it's hard for us to get access to some of these herbs. So I would love to hear more of your experience with the job that you do day to day, whether it's just from a creation standpoint or from an herbalist standpoint. Uh, you know, I do. I really love my job. I feel incredibly lucky to do what I do for a living. And I definitely did not imagine that this is how it would turn out when I went mm-hmm. to school. So I'm I'm just incredibly fortunate to be able to do this. And it's uh, the formulating is really fun, as you were talking about. I've been also been able to do some recipe development, you know, like integrating our extracts into other beverages that I think is a lot of fun. And a big part of what I do, I feel, is education. And so I've been really heavily involved with our internship program that uh, we have here on the farm. Hopefully, you'll meet some of our interns while you're here. And it's this incredible hands-on educational opportunity you know, that we offer teaching folks about farming, you know, of herbs and herbalism in general. And so I do that with the interns and then also with our customers. You know, I'm kind of the person that when people call in and have questions about our products or plants or how things are made, I'm the, I'm the first line, you know, of, pe- of people that they get to to ask, you know, their more in-depth questions about herbs and herbalism. And it's a lot of fun. It's fun to talk to people and it's it's also great to feel like uh, you get to have a really positive impact in your work. I, I do feel that herbs make a difference in people's lives and, you know, help to support their health and wellness. And what a great honor to be part of that and helping people have a relationship with plants. You know, once they realize that it's plants, you know, that we're working with here, that's really special, you know, and a real honor for me to be in this position where, where we're connecting people with plants in the natural world. So I am, you know, really humbled every day by what we do here because it feels really important and it adds so much goodness to other people's lives. Mm, It really does. It's just so fun. I can't wait to get out there. And when it comes to farming and I'll kind of get to put my hands on on the plants and like be in that type of agriculture, but you know, for somebody that's like, I live in a city and I've never had a garden or I'm looking at herbs at natural grocers or whole foods and it's just overwhelming. Like what are some of the things when, especially with the way that you guys do things when it comes to farming and herbalism and just making sure the practice is just dialed in, what would you make sure that everyone knew when it comes to like how your plants are sourced and how they're grown and like, what should they care about? Like what matters and maybe what doesn't as much matter, or maybe it all matters. What's kind of like that first, like, farming education spiel that you would give? You know, the first thing I think I would mention is um, sourcing. If your herbs are farmed, you definitely want them to be certified organic. You know, these are plants that we're taking to support our own health. And you don't want to take a plant for that reason that has been sprayed with an herbicide or pesticide. You know, so it's really important if you're sourcing cultivated herbs to be sure that they have not been treated um, you know, with uh, pesticides or herbicides. Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, we've got like the USDA certified organic seal on a lot of our products. If you were buying things from someone local, 
sometimes that um, organic certification can be cost prohibitive to people. So it's always worth talking to people just about their growing methods and how they grew things just to make sure it was grown with integrity. And, you know, we want these plants to take care of us. So we also need to take care of them, you know, and treat them really well. So that would be one of my first suggestions. In here at Herb Farm, we have just the the privilege really of growing between 65 and 70 different herbs that we use here in our products. And we kind of call what we're doing. And that it's a lot, you know, that's that's a pretty substantial amount. And it's not a huge farm, you know, so we grow relatively small plots of each herb. And we feel like that's really important to maintain biodiversity and also just strong, healthy plants. So we're very much against, you know, monocropping or things like that, because that kind of weakens the overall health of the plants and then also the entire ecosystem. You know, we share our farm with yeast and um, what else? Oh, what am I forgetting what that other, oh, wild turkeys. How could I forget the wild turkeys? You know, we've got squirrels, we've got foxes, we've got coyotes, you know, and so we want to make sure that everything that we do has a positive impact on everyone, you know, basically that's living on the farm and kind of sharing that space with us. Mm, So the other suggestion that I want to bring up wild crafted herbs, just because that's important too. Uh, Wildcrafted herbs come from folks who basically travel to an herb's natural habitat and harvest it there. And so what you really want to be sure of if you're purchasing those herbs is that there's really that you're um, buying an herb that is sustainable, you know, basically mm-hmm. that we're not going to have a really negative impact on the plant population by harvesting it. Um, and also just that you can trust the company and the wild crafter um, to get high quality plant material for you, basically. That makes so. If you you grow sixty five to seventy different types of herbs, so wild crafted would be what you don't grow at your location. Correct. Yes. Okay. What would be an example of that? I mean, I guess it depends. But for you guys specifically, like herbs that are hard to grow, I guess in your in your climate, herbs that are challenging to grow in our climate, basically. So things that come. Um, from a more mountainous area, you know, those things we can have cultivated for us, you know, depending on our relationships with folks down there, but we may also be working with wild crafters. I would say, yes, things that don't exist in our climate. There's other things that grow right around us. St. John's wort is a fantastic example. Mm. It is considered an invasive species. It grows all over the mountains around us, just in abundance, but you're not allowed to, you know, cultivate it basically as a crop. So we go out and wildcraft that plant every year just because of the restrictions around cultivation. Ah, that even if it's in, pl- in plenty, was that, was that a rule that it could change or is it something that that just is like the preservation initiative and it probably will be that way forever? Because I think Colorado has some of those rules as well with the, uh, I believe yarrow, I'm, I'm not sure what else, but I think it is pretty illegal to take too much, you know, outside of just like picking a couple. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, the issue with you can't grow St. John's wort yourself here because it's considered invasive and mm-hmm. we have such an abundance of it that you, they really don't want to add to the population, you know, I guess is kind of the idea. And that is determined on a state by state basis. Um, there are other plants though. I think what you're talking about is more like restrictions on harvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, I think there's a plant in Colorado you may have heard of called OSHA. Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, recently had some limitations um, placed on its harvesting. You know, it is the root of that plant that we're harvesting. And so um, 
it's much easier to damage the plant or the plant has to die, you know, basically for you to take that route. And so mm-hmm. how do we ensure that the populations of OSHA exist into the future if we're having to kill a plant each time that we harvest it? You know, so people mm-hmm. undertake lots of really interesting studies and, you know, herb farms stopped selling that product for about three years. Um, until a recent study was completed just to make sure we weren't contributing to any sort of negative impact on that OSHA population. And it, oh, that's so good because it did take off because of the immune support. It was like in every, you know, get sick yes. kind of medley that you could find. And that, that's just so, that's, that's such a great example of like, I love so much when people get into plant medicine, but it, I know this is not an herb example, but an example of like the influx of celery juice and how everyone's juicing celery. And I cannot go to the grocery store without like three bundles of celery in every grocery store, grocery cart around me. Cause it's like, Oh, celery is magic. And it's like, it will heal this and it'll cause this. And I think it's so easy to dig into that. And we can do that with every single plant. And it's so, it's such a fine line of like, we want this awareness, but the awareness also has to encompass that it can quickly be a right that no longer will exist if we all are doing it. And I don't know, it's just something really important for us to be aware when we are looking at those fads and looking at those things, even though they might feel like a cure-all, it's good to know like the whole story behind where it's coming from. And uh, it's not unlimited or bountiless in very, I guess, very rare cases. Yes, you're absolutely correct. I feel a golden seal is another very good example, you know, from an herb perspective. And that is one that they've been concerned about golden seal populations for, gosh, probably at least 100 years. You know, they've known that there would be issues with that. And it's an incredibly popular herb that is now, you know, at risk of extinction in the wild. And so I understand why people want to use it because it's awesome. Um, But, you know, it is good to think about the next seven generations, you know, as it has been suggested. and, And will they have golden seal, you know, in the future? So. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the, I kind of think, I know this is a tangent, but a little bit of like the essential oils can easily tap into this too. And so like knowing how powerful essential oils really are, like one drop is so much content. It's so much herb to get to that drop. And so yes. uh, I would love your thoughts, even if it's brief and quick you know, I'm definitely not calling anybody out. I think essential oils definitely have their place and are powerful and wonderful, but it would be good, I think, to maybe mention, I would love to know your thoughts about essential oils. Yeah, I think they're amazing, you know, and I, you know, it is a really um, just impactful compound, you know, our class of compounds, I guess, basically that we find in plants. And I love essential oils and I do treat them, I think, um, much more prudently and with more respect than I did when I first started working with herbs because I just didn't understand, like what, as you were just saying, the incredible volume of plant material that is needed to make a very small amount, you know, of essential oil. You know, when you think about that, I feel like you handle things a little bit more respectfully and you understand, wow, that's why that rose essential oil was incredibly expensive. And it's because it took 60,000 rose petals, you know, or whatever to make a single drop. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sorry, that's just a, a number I'm pulling out of the air, but it's something that, that I really didn't consider. And I think people don't really understand a lot of times. And, you know, you also want to be sure uh, when you look at essential oils, there's no like botanical characteristics or visual qualities of a 
a plant that you can see whenever you purchase an essential oil, you know, and so it's always good to work um, with a reputable company that you really trust um, to be sure that, you know, they are respectfully harvesting the correct plant, you know, before it is distilled basically into an essential oil. That, that feels really important to me and, and that they have, you know, good relationships ideally with the places and the people, you know, um, where these plants come from also feels really critical to me as far as us kind of staying in balance when we are consuming so much for such a small amount of end product. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. Mm, I love it. Okay. Well, I want to jump into, we picked, we pre-picked all my listeners, a couple of herbs that I thought I have been interested in and I want to know more about and I have used, I want to just have Alexis kind of talk us through them and so that we all have some new knowledge on some herbs. And Alexis is also a big fan of these herbs as well. Although I don't know if you have any, you probably like all herbs. I don't know if you're, uh, you might, you might be, um, a fan of these, but I can't imagine you not being a fan of any of them because that's (laughs) (laughs) everything. It's like me and exercises. They're all my favorite. Um, (laughs) So I want to start There's There's one that I'm really slowly getting into. Uh, I know, you know, kind of the basics of what it does, but I definitely want to dig into it more and hear your story about it. But I was introduced to Damiana really outside of just kind of um, a female hormone support medicinal tea blend that I found in Kauai years ago. It was through this new Mezcal company that I'm in love with called Gem and Bolt. And they infuse their Mezcal with Damiana and I am just in love with it. It's kind of like the only alcohol I drink. So I would love to dig into Damiana with you. Very cool. Well, I like your description of being in love with the Mezcal because I think that really jives with the traditional use of Damiana. You know, it has historically been used kind of, as you said, for, you know, support for the female reproductive system. And I would say that, you know, for any reproductive system, there's a historical use um, to support the urinary system. But it's really primarily considered, and the way I initially learned about it from my teachers, um, is that, that it's thought of as an aphrodisiac. You know, so just um, kind of to make you or fall in love with the world around you, you know, or the person around you. And so mm-hmm. my maiden voyage with Damiana, actually, it was one of the first recipes that I ever made from a book by Rosemary Gladstar. Oh, I love the Family her. Herbal. Yeah, she's amazing. I love how she makes you feel like you can do anything. You yes. are you are empowered, yeah, to work with these plants. And so she credits um, a woman named Diana DeLuca with this recipe for Damiana chocolate love liqueur, which is um, an extract of Damiana that you make yourself and you add chocolate and rose water and honey and brandy. And it is, it will blow your mind. So it's one of my favorite things I've ever made that I, you know, consistently try to keep making because it is just so good. Oh, that sounds amazing. Can you share the recipe with us? Is this something we can share? Uh, I would think so. It's published in a book. So as long as we credit her, you know, I I wouldn't have any problems with sharing it. Good. I'm going to dig around and find that. I'm sure she has a blog post or somebody has it with her, all her links added to it. I'll make sure the listeners get it. And I feel that way. I'm like, this is one genius for Gem and Bolt to put this in their Mezcal because everyone's going to want to come buy another bottle. Yeah. And two, it's just so, it's so open. Like it just feels, 
you just feel good and present. And that's what I've noticed the most with herbs is whether it's flower essences or kind of this get back into my body. And usually around hormone, it started because I needed help with hormones and progesterone, but it was like, oh, I finally feel more present. Like I feel more, I guess it is back to like, I feel more in that feminine power. And I think that's what's so cool about it. It's like mother nature just giving you a little bit of a, yes, this is what you're supposed to feel like every day. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We'll take more of that, please. Yes, for sure. Okay, cool. So Damiana, a heart opener, an aphrodisiac, a great thing for the female endocrine system. I love it. I think that's the thing. I guess I should mention this and maybe you can help explain about how like the physical plant and what Herb Farm really focuses on these extracts and these tinctures of being for our own physical body and then kind of the opposite of the essence, like the essence of the flower, whether it's flower essences or maybe the essential oils are more for like the energetics of the body. Would you agree that that's a fair statement? Somewhat. I do think that's fair. I want to take my herb farm hat off for a minute and speak as myself um, and just say that I do think that, you know, tinctures can also help to support your emotional body, Mm. you know, and yourself emotionally um, and energetically. I agree with your statement about essences and even essential oils, you know, and that experience of inhaling, you know, the, the plant's aromas. But I also think that there's some validity to um, tinctures and other liquid extracts being used to support the health and emotions um, and energetics just in general. Okay. So we're moving to one of your favorites, I believe, uh, Hawthorne. Yes, I love Hawthorne. I know Hawthorne for the heart and that's... Yeah, that's all I. I think that's all I got. A protector. I think the only experience I had with Hawthorne when I was overly caffeinated and had um, some severe adrenal dysfunction, and way more than that. Like I can blame it on like my workouts and my exercise and all these things that I was putting my body through. But it was also a lot of bad relationship stuff that I was going through. And I just kind of pushed it down and I was like, what would be good for my heart? And I looked up and it was really what called to me and like what I was really drawn to as far as the smell and just kind of like you sitting by that plant. It was ylang ylang and hawthorn. And that's all I knew about it. I was like, okay, I guess this is good for my heart. And I felt that, but I would love to dig more into it, especially now that it's not trying to like fix something (laughs) that I had going on. (laughs) Sure. I feel uh, Hawthorne is really considered the quintessential um, herb for the heart, as you were saying. And so we're talking about physical heart. We're talking about emotional heart, you know, with both of those things, basically. And it's a really unique, it's a tree, you know, that's kind of gnarled and it's thorny. And it was used, um, planted a lot um, as a hedge plant. I apologize. I'm getting another call on the other line right now. Oh, you're okay. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, so it was planted as a hedge plant, you know, um, to kind of protect areas. And I really think of it similarly in its action for humans. You know, it, um, it contains thorns. And so, you know, as we move forward physically and emotionally, you want to be open to new experiences, but you also want to protect your sacred heart, you know, your heart and yourself. Of course, there would be this thorny plant there, you know, that is going to hold everything safe that you, you know, hold dear to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I love that metaphor, you know, and thinking about um, the thorniness of this plant protecting us. 
And it's also just an incredible wildlife plant. You know, if you're a gardener, if you're able to, you know, plant anything on a piece of land that you have, birds love hawthorn, other animals will eat the berries. And it is the berry and then the leaf and flower that are traditionally used in herbalism. And so it's a multi-time harvest. So the leaf and the flower tends to harvest around Beltane, which is May Day, you know, and um, this time of year, actually, that we're speaking right now. And so folks will go out and collect the leaf and flower at that time. And then you've got to go back to collect the berries in like September, October, you know, sometime in the fall. And then um, here at Herb Farm, we combine all of those things together into our extract, which is pretty unique. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's like the, it just keeps giving in so, so many it ways. Does. And I would love to dig into that a little bit too. We can get a little woo-woo if you want. Uh, we, you know, we have the physical heart and like the things that it does for the physical heart, but also like this heart chakra we're talking about, like heartbreak and protection and barriers and, you know, plants that resemble this type of power and protection and the thorns. Someone recently said, I was talking to my friend Jenna saying like things with horns tend to be the most protective for you, like stinging nettle, for example, with allergies and being so great for allergies, even because they're like protecting themselves. Therefore, they can also protect us. The difference is, I guess, is there really a difference between our like own physical heart and our chakra heart? Like those two, you know, we kind of pretend they're so separate, but they're ultimately so the same, you know? Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, as a person who... I remember um, my last bad breakup, my heart physically hurt, you know, Um, and, you know, people die from heartbreak. I feel like that's a really real thing. And Mm -hmm. so I do think you're right. It's just a misassumption to think that those two things aren't connected um, because they very much are. I think the health of our heart has a lot to do, you know, with our emotional health. And I think about even now, just kind of due to technology, I feel like we can be more connected than ever because of technology, yet people are lonelier than ever, you know, and have more heartache than ever. So um, due to that disconnection, you know, which is kind of ironic and sad. Um, So I do think of Hawthorne too as like a a remedy for that disconnection that we have. And it's, I think, yeah, it's so important because it's like the true connection is what we don't do anymore, which is sometimes in a very safe and PC way, obviously, but like physical touch and holding someone's hand and like even just being barefoot in the grass. And, you know, we have all these phone calls and we're talking to people all the time, but they have no depth to them because they can't have depth, right? They feel good for an instant, but I feel like it's night and day, even, you know, a text message, let alone connecting on social media cannot replace sitting with somebody and eating dinner and looking in their eyes. You know, it's just like this, such a huge thing that our society is shifting towards. And part of me is like, well, this is just the new normal and we have to adapt. But then at the same time, it's like, no, we can't, you have to find those moments, even if they're short and brief daily to find that connection that is true connection that has that depth in some way, or we're just going to we're just going to wither away and all be sad and lonely. <laughs> you know. Uh, I agree. Hmm. You know, just because there is a new way doesn't mean we have to completely abandon the old way, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I feel like, like you said, it's important to just maintain that sense of connection and, 
you know, um, in Japan, they came up with the concept of forest bathing, you know, and just how healing it is to go outside and be in nature, you know, it's just, uh, it's called Shinrin-yoku is the term they use for it. And it's just an incredible healer. And you can, you know, look up studies on how that lowers your blood pressure and your cortisol levels and your heart rates. And, you know, all you did was go outside. And mm-hmm. that is a really important part of, you know, some of their healing practices that, that I wish we focused on more here as well. Totally. I just watched a documentary on that. that is, it was so fascinating that almost maybe more actually, just over a fourth of the population in Tokyo has, has done that. Like they make it a point. Like I can't imagine anything. We barely vote. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but 25% have, of people doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. It's like, oh my gosh, they all, they're, you know, cause they live in that environment that they, I mean, they do work to death, right? So it's like, they are nonstop, go, 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 always stimulated, but they also see this necessity of how can I help with everything else? So yeah, that documentary is really cool. I will try to remember what that was called. It was on Netflix. Um, a heart surgeon actually went into Japan and experienced it. It was really great. Ah, that's good. Okay. So, and then I do want to, we can talk maybe we can just jump into this now, but with Damiana and Hawthorne and maybe it's person to person and maybe this isn't something you can answer, but if someone's wanting to try it, like how do you start to dabble into herbs? You know, I think it depends kind of on what kind of person you are. You can start, you know, by taking a tea, you know, that might be a a nice way to start. You know, I say the main deterrent to that would be flavor of some herbs. I think Damiana (laughs) makes an outstanding tea, you know, but there are some herbs that absolutely do not make outstanding teas, you know, and so, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I've tried a lot of them. I know. That was my biggest challenge with the tea company I have. It's like, oh my God, this this is very effective, but this tastes horrible. Yes. Yeah, you, they make you work for it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I do think that, you know, and in that case, liquid extracts like tinctures or glycerites can be really helpful. You take a smaller amount, you know, you add them to a small amount of water or, you know, whatever the particular product's direction say. And um, they're really effective. They bypass any need for digestion. They get absorbed into your bloodstream really quickly after you take them. And so that's kind of a nice, you know, way to spend time with an herb. I mean, if you want to be, you know, back when I was in school and just being super plant nerdy, I would spend a couple weeks with one plant, you know, and taking the tincture and occasionally trying the tea and, you know, journaling and about if it impacted my dreams, you know, or how it made me feel, you know, differently. So I feel like you can, you know, kind of take that as far as you want to. I definitely went full immersion and read everything I could at that time and, you know, and just really tried to soak up everything I could about that particular herb just to learn as much as I could about it. The, so it kind of depends on the person, I would say. Yeah, I love that. I love my Materia Medica books <laughs> so much. I love yeah. it. <laughs> cool. Okay. And then um, herb number three, yarrow, which I always, do you say yarrow? You say yarrow, right? I say yarrow. Yarrow. Okay. I'm from Texas and we say a lot of words incorrectly. I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard yarrow. I've also heard yarrow. So I'm not sure what's exactly correct. So this one I have a very unique relationship with because I don't know what it is. It just, it's like, I don't know. It's just my plant. I just love it. I love the essence of it, the tincture of it, the tea of it. I love it all. And I had known that I loved it. And 
it was just kind of one of my top two or three. And I then did my 23andMe gene testing and I found out like I, there, you can basically find out how much Neanderthal you have. And I I know Joe Rogan talks about this, but he's like so proud of his 58%, like I'm not 58%, (laughs) but according to the pop, like everyone that's done 23andMe and I'm the top 98th percentile of Neanderthal. Like the amount that I have is very significant. And I was like, what, what does that mean? So then I went into this deep dive of what that even meant and who they were. And the first thing that I read, so the two herbs that I love are Althea and Yarrow, and they actually were buried with those two herbs around their grave. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I just was like, well, part of me was like, of course they were. Those are my two favorite herbs that I've been obsessed with. And then I was just like, that is so crazy. That is the coolest thing that I have ever experienced of like, how did I, how did I, why do I love these? And then I look and I'm like, oh, well, that's part of who I am. <laughs> Isn't that the yeah. craziest? <laughs> what an affirmation. You right? know, that's, yes. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So I would love, I know it's about strength, but that's really all I know. I just know I love it and I take it and I would love to know what your thoughts are on Yara. Well, this is, you know, really one of my favorite herbs too. I don't know about my Neanderthal heritage, but I totally understand (laughs) your love of yarrow. I just think it's such an amazing herb. And it's really, you know, the way I explain it to my students is like yarrow is an herb that can be strong for you, especially when you can't be strong for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's just this really supportive protector herb. And, you know, you take flower essences. I don't know if you've ever seen like yarrow environmental solutions. Um, People will use yarrow to protect, uh, protect them from like electromagnetic energy, you know, or kind of like vampire people, you know, energy vampires, um, or people who just find themselves to be like too susceptible to other people's energies. Yarrow is a great ally for that, just to help um, you kind of strengthen up your boundaries so that you are less vulnerable, you know, to the energies that are around you. And as far as, you know, taking the herb, it really it impacts so many systems of the body. It's kind of crazy. You know, it really helps to support your health in so many different ways. And uh, there's some mythology, some Greek mythology that Achilles was bathed in yarrow water, which is basically, you know, what made him pretty much invincible. And the name, um, botanical name, Achillea millifolium, means uh-huh. like Achilles um, thousand leaves herb. And so this herb, uh, supposedly he took it to battle with him and would treat the soldier's wounds with yarrow. So a real rich history with this really cool plant that you can find really all over the place. I see it at all elevations, you know, um, in many places that I travel to, you can find yarrow. Hmm. I love that. That's so cool. Especially for, we have talked a lot with empaths and the ability to have boundaries. And I think those who struggle the most with adrenal dysfunction or, kind of giving too much of themselves, but then all of a sudden feeling like they don't have any direction and clear path because that energy was put into other people or subconsciously given away in a way that we just don't realize like the true embodiment of impasse. It's perfect. I think it's just the best herb, especially the way you explained it. Hmm. I totally agree. I, I recommend it to most of my herbalist friends, you know, especially people who see clients, you know, in the work that they do it, it really helps you to keep some um, space close to yourself, you know, um, that's just yours, which is really nice and important. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, okay, we got one more dandelion. And I know this was just harvested, I believe. But I, what I really want to look into is like the different parts of dandelion. I'm really familiar with dandelion root. I know that greens can be used as bitters um, to help with some digestive stuff. But kind of the whole plant in itself, dandelion, you know, something I picked as kids, my dad would pay me a penny for every dandelion I would pick in the yard. <laughs> you know, because it's um, So it's just so cool. It's like this, this weed and news, you know, thing that we just see as irrelevant is so powerful. So I'd love to talk into dandelion and your thoughts on it and really what it's used for. Yeah. I Gosh, you know, what an underappreciated plant. I have very similar memories, you know, with my dad um, and they, just not wanting it in our yard, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And so how ironic to get older and realize that we all really need it. <laughs> yeah. um, so traditionally, the root has been used to support the liver, you know, and so that's kind of its main affinity is um, for that organ. And you're right. The greens, you can even buy dandelion greens in grocery stores now. They are full of minerals. They are, you know, bitter and so eaten a lot before meals and really help to support digestion. And they traditionally are used more to support the kidney. And so even just those two parts of the plant there really help to um, support your two main organs of detoxification or two very important organs of detoxification, your liver and your kidney there. And where I most often see dandelion flower used um, on its own is I've seen it in some breast and lymphatic massage oils. And so I think it's got some sort of lymph affinity there. Um, So, you know, again, another kind of um, organ of elimination there. So dandelions are really helping to clean things up, I would guess, you know, in our yards um, and also in our own internal landscape. I didn't know anything about what to do with dandelion flower. I love that. Yeah, you can cook them too. You know, um, the students just made dandelion fritters last week. You know, they just um, like, I think, dipped them in some sort of batter and fried them up and they really enjoyed those too. (laughs) Another option. I have a weird story when I was like, I don't know, in second grade, I took the tops of them off and like fried them on a sidewalk. I I think I was meant to be an herbalist. I think you were. That's pretty profound and awesome. That's so funny. You know, and I, one of my favorite things that, you know, I was um, told by one of my my teachers about dandelion too, is that um, throughout its life cycle, it is the sun, the moon, and the stars. So the sun, when it is a flower, the moon, when it's, you know, the big, you know, fluff ball of seeds, and then the stars as the seeds float away, which I just thought was really beautiful imagery for that Mm -hmm. plant. That lends a different sort of appreciation. I'm going to audio clip that and send it to my dad. (laughs) (laughs) For all the times I just worked so hard for those pennies. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Awesome. Okay. Well, Alexis, this has been such a treat for me, you know, selfishly just to kind of dig into this, but also I'm so thrilled to be working with Herb Farm and I just can't wait to be at the farm. So those, um, I mentioned this already, but I will be going to Herb Farm's farm and being able to take tons of videos for you guys to see the process and more interviews. I'll definitely get Alexis back on in some way so you guys can see her in action doing what she's she does. And I just can't wait. I'm very excited about all of the above because uh, I think what you guys are doing, making these herbs accessible, but in such a beautiful, organic and 
done right way. It's just so cool. So I'm very appreciative of your time and this conversation. Thank you. You know, I feel the very same way. It is just my great joy to, you know, first of all, have this job, but to be able to talk about plants with others. And so I'm super grateful for the opportunity and I can't wait to meet you. Hmm. Yay. Okay, Alexis, thank you so, so much. I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. 